After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah, where the Messiah was to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for, for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the, the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amen. Let me add my welcome to hers, to everybody who's here and everybody who has um, joined online this morning or indeed is joining online later. I realized how young I was when I, when I didn't know that song. <laughs> everybody else knew it, so I'm just a boy, um, which, is, which was interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's a, there is a, some event on the 25th of December this year that some people will call historic. Because we will have a Christmas address by a king for the first time in 70 years. Now, not the first time for a monarch, um, because over the last 70 years we've had the message from the Queen. Um, perhaps you don't know this. It's before my time because I'm too young to know even these songs. But 1932 was the very first Christmas message. And it was on, uh, not on television, it was on the wireless, for those that remember that. Um, and it was King George V. And... Uh, he gave the first one. It didn't become a tradition at that point, um, but that was the first one. Um, King George VI did carry it on. 1937, he gave his first. Uh, 1951, he gave his last. And ever since then, apart from one year, 1961, the Queen has delivered a Christmas broadcast. Now, some people are quite excited to hear what King Charles III is going to share in a Christmas broadcast. As far as I know, he's doing one. He had had said he was doing one. If, if he doesn't, it's quite historic as well. Um, but there are a lot of people who are thinking it's not the same. 
It can't be the same. They're going to miss the Queen's Christmas message. They have gathered around the television at the appropriate time each Christmas, as a family perhaps, to hear what the Queen had to say to the nation. Now, whether you are people that are into that or not, whether you think this is really important or not, I don't really care too much. (laughs) Um, Because over Christmas, and, and today we want to focus on a much greater, more significant historical moment than this. And we want to think about a much more, a much greater king. Is King Jesus the first, King Jesus the last, King Jesus the only. I could have said the everything, but I'm not the only. And we're going to be thinking about King Jesus. Now, if anybody's observant, and I want to question this, because on my slides it says, Jesus is king, which suggests the topic this morning. And you've looked at Connect, and it says Advent. Um, then, well done in spotting that. Um, I want to talk about Jesus as King this morning, but I'd like to do it in the spirit of Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, uh, which means coming. And one definition uh, that you can see here says in the Christian church calendar, Advent is a period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas and also of preparation for the second coming of Christ. This word Advent carries with it a sense of inevitability. It's not a niff statement. Um, There's a sense that something is going to happen. There's a sense of expectation. So I want to suggest, first of all, about Jesus, that he was a king expected. The king expected. You will, um, if you read your Old Testament, you will know that God made promises and covenants with the nation of Israel. Uh, beginning with Abraham and through, he made covenants with them. He made promises to them. One of the things he said, and he said more than once, I will be your God and you will be my people. Uh, what a great privilege to that nation that they would be God's people. And they were called to be a light to the nations So all nations should have seen something of God and how he dealt with Israel. But also, if you read your Old Testament, you'll realize that it was a very turbulent history that they had. They were a people who sometimes would honor God and were rewarded and and knew what it was to be um, God's people. And so often they would turn away from God. They would turn to idols. And um, they would suffer for that. God was always their God. They just didn't want to be his people at times. And I think in that there's a bit of a challenge for us. Um, You know, as we come, if we say that we're Christians, if we say that we love God, that we value God, that he is our king, then we need to make sure that we don't turn to idols, that we continue to honor him. Now, in dealing with Israel, God raised up leaders and uh, 
some called judges. He gave them kings. And he spoke to them particularly through prophets. And uh, you, the prophets, you would often see words like this, that the word of the Lord came to me, this or this is what the Lord says. Because they were making it clear that this was not their wisdom. This was not their message, but it was coming from God. And God used these prophets to bring his message to the people. Sometimes they listened, sometimes they failed to listen. And some of those prophecies were fulfilled in fairly short measure of time. Some of them took a lot longer. Uh, and some of them are still to be fulfilled. So they're taking a much longer time yet. But amongst those prophecies was the promise of one to come. Uh, he was called a Messiah. Um, and he was also called King. These Verses that you see from Isaiah 9 are used often at Christmas. If you go and listen to the Messiah, Handel's Messiah, you'll hear these words. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Which gives you an indication of who Jesus would be. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But he would be a king. And it, it wasn't just a case of saying he would be a, a king. But he would be of the line of David. He would sit and reign on David's throne. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Establishing, upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, I don't know the people hearing that message, what they thought that meant. Perhaps they thought that the one would come and then there would be a line of others after, but the throne would be established. Um, and they didn't perhaps grasp that this one would be the one who would reign forever. So they would be expecting a king. And, it, and it's reasonable that they would have expected God to deliver somebody because he had done it before. In different times, he'd raised up people to, to bring them out of whatever subjugation they were under. And of course, if it was in the line of David, that would be quite exciting. David was the greatest king that they had known as a nation. They had had great prosperity, had great triumph. Uh, for the most part, um, they had they were a great nation under David, and they were looking for the restoration of that. So they would have expected a king. So God spoke to them through prophecy until there came a time when there was silence. As far as we know, after Malachi, for a period of 400 years, nothing. Now, I wonder if if you were uh, around Malachi's time and you knew the history of Israel and everything else, if you might have thought that God had abandoned you. But where then was God's promise that he would be their God, they would be his people? Where was this faithful God, the God that doesn't change? So that couldn't be the case. Perhaps people were in a, a place where actually they didn't really know, they didn't notice because they weren't paying that much attention anyway. I don't, I don't know. Nor do I know why 
there was a period of silence. Um, you know, perhaps it was a preparation for uh, what was to come. This next great chapter in God's plan of salvation for people. Almost like God was taking a break. Taking a, a deep breath. Proverbially, of course. Taking a deep breath before he launched in to what were the most significant events in history since creation itself. Perhaps that's what it was. We don't know for sure. One thing that, you know, as I was thinking about this and thinking about the gap, it brought to my mind two other gaps, if you like. Um, This is not what this is about. But one is the, the, the gap between the old covenant, which was for Israel, and which was based on law, and the new covenant that was to come, which is for all people and based on grace. They are significantly, so significantly different. Or the other gap that I thought of was the gap that there is between sinful men and women and children, such as we are, and the almighty, holy, perfect God. And these are gaps that could not be bridged by anyone other than God himself. And that silence was only going to end by an act of God himself. Now, the fact that we don't hear anything from God in that time doesn't mean that all of history stopped. Israel remained. However, in those 400 years, they came under the rule of the Greeks for a short time. They came under the rule of the Egyptians. They came under the rule of the Syrians. And they had a hard time under the Syrians. There was a rebellion, Judas Maccabeus, um, But there was continuing, towards the end of these 400 years, there was continuing conflict between Israel and the Syrians until the Romans came. And then they were under the Romans. Um, So there hadn't been a smooth 400 years uh, for Israel. And so they expected, if they, they were looking for a deliverer, for the Messiah, for the king. At the end of the silence then, we get a king born. No longer an expected king, but a king who is born. But perhaps he wasn't quite the king that they expected. They expected a king, um, but here was this king, not in a royal palace, not surrounded by the rich and the famous, not rubbing shoulders with the influential people. But here he is, born in a lowly humble state. He's born in an animal stable. It's attached to the, to the house. It's where the animals were kept. He was born there and he was placed in a, a feeding trough. Now, not the arrival of a king that you might expect. The first people he would have opened his eyes to would be a simple small town carpenter and his young wife. Perhaps the innkeeper would pop in from time to time. But his first visitors were shepherds. They were the the lowest of the low in terms of society status. He was surrounded by ordinary, simple folks. Not what you expect of royalty. 
And it, and it wasn't a case that he was born in that situation and, you know, he had this wonderful rise, you know, from, from that, a great rags to riches story. People love rags to riches stories. It wasn't that. Because he continued to live humbly. He roamed the hillside, nowhere to lay his head, and surrounded himself by fishermen and tax collectors, not princes and and royals. And the one exception during his birth, at that time of his birth, in his younger days, was the visit of the Magi that we read about. Now, these would be influential men. These would be men of some substance, perhaps some wealth. They traveled a long distance to see him because they came to worship the king of the Jews. These are men who would have studied um, all sorts of signs and all sorts of uh, literature of the time and, and everything that they would, they would get at. They would be clever, wise men. And they were lent to come and worship the king of the Jews. It wasn't, though, just on their uh, cleverness or or wisdom. It's God who spoke to them. And if you have any doubt that God actually spoke to them and led them to, to do this, then you just have to remember that they went back a different route and didn't go via Herod because they were warned warned in a dream not to do that. And so we find that God is working in in these people who are not of the nation of Israel. And they come, and the first place they go to is Herod, because they expect the king to be in a palace. Um, And he's not there. Herod recognizes that there's an expected Messiah, an expected king. He wants to know where he is. Not to worship him, but to make sure that he's not a threat to him going forward. So we find this king who's come in very humble circumstances and I suspect is not the king that was expected. He is the king that was expected, but not in the way that people expected. And of course, he's a king who came and lived that humble life and went willingly to a cross to die for the sins of people. If they expected a king like David who would bring up a great army to free them from the Romans, this is not what they got. They got Jesus. Jesus, whose victory was not of this world. His victory was not of raising an army to fight and to to come in battle. He's a king who came to die on a cross, not to release Israel from the hold of the Romans or anybody else and make them a great nation. He came to rescue men and women and children, each and every one of us, from our sin, from the bondage of sin. It's a much greater king. This is a much greater victory than was envisaged. He was a king born. Now, if he's so far removed from what people might have expected, how do we know? And we can go back to the prophecies, and uh, we can go back to the story about Jesus, and we, we understand. 
something of that. So what we find is the visit of the Magi. They came looking for a king. So they're not going to do that just on the off chance or just for anybody. They knew in their hearts that a king had been born. He was born in Bethlehem. Now, Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. You would expect their child to be born in Nazareth. But the circumstances required them to go to Bethlehem. They had no choice but to go to Bethlehem. The Roman census, they had to go to Bethlehem. And it was in, the timing was such that when they were in Bethlehem, Jesus was born. And Micah had prophesied that out of Bethlehem, the lowest, the smallest, would come the ruler. And of course, there's the announcement of his birth. You know, when, when a, a child is born to the royal family in this country, there's a, a, there's a notice put out on a, a gold easel that's put out at the gates of Buckingham Palace. And people can come and see. We don't need to go and see if there's a royal birth. It's all over the media, all over the news. We, we see it everywhere. But none of them have been welcomed into the world by a host of angels saying, Glory to God. Child is born. This is the Messiah. He's born. Who did they proclaim it to? This little group of shepherds. But we know it because it's been told. It's been written down and told to us. We know that he was welcomed by angels. This isn't the only time in Jesus' walk on earth that the heavens would open. This is my son and whom I'm well pleased. Here's the transfiguration as we see him shining with, a, with a, a picture of the glory of heaven. The angels proclaim him Messiah. And then, of course, we have the virgin birth. Isaiah prophesied that a son would be born of a virgin. I don't know how they received that back in the day, um, perhaps as they heard that, they trusted God. The folk that heard it would trust God and recognize that, well, it's God. He can do whatever. We live in a very cynical age. That will say, not possible. But everything is possible with God. Forget the added this advert, impossible is nothing. For God, impossible is everything. Uh, he's beyond what, he's beyond our plane. He, you know, there's nothing. That is impossible for him. He's the one who created our very beings. What can he not do with us and with a young girl in Bethlehem or in Nazareth? So he's born of a virgin. And he's of the line of David. We read that in Isaiah. But if you look at the genealogies of Jesus in the, um, in the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, they both show you the line from Jesus back to David um, and indeed back to Abraham. So here he was fulfilling all these prophecies. And then we had it in his own words, don't we? As, as he faces Pilate and Pilate says, are you, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, was his reply. And Jesus talks about my kingdom. 
You can't have a kingdom if you're not a king. But here he makes clear, and I think you get a picture of that, you know, what they were expecting, what they might still have been expecting of this Messiah, this, this king to, to rise up and, and, and create some huge earthly uprising and, and victory. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. You know, my servants would have fought to defend me. What did Jesus say? Peter, put down your sword. Because this wasn't the victory. This didn't represent his kingdom. His kingdom was of another place. And he invites us to be part of that kingdom. He invites us to be his people. So a king is born, and then there are other writings uh, throughout the New Testament that will point out. We've not got time to go into them, but you can look in Revelation particularly about that. So he was a king expected. He's a king born. But let's go back to that definition of Advent. Because the second part of that definition said it's also the preparation for the second coming of Christ. Now, in church settings, many people, as they think about Advent, they're looking back and they're looking at the birth of Jesus and the focus is all about that first coming of Jesus, this child in a manger. Uh, it's a lovely story. We all enjoy it. And people who are not interested in other things of church often enjoy that aspect. But for us as people in the church, we are living in the second advent. We don't think about that very much, I think. But this is a time of preparation for the second coming of Christ. He's come. We know that. We understand a lot about that. And we are awaiting him now. And God speaks to us. He speaks to us now. He's not silent. You know, we're not living in 400 years of silence. Nor are we living under the need to hear prophets come and tell us. We have the words of Jesus himself. We have the teaching of God's word to us. And he speaks by his son in these last days. So God is not silent. He's speaking Are we listening? Are we responding and living appropriately? When Jesus ascended into heaven, they they were looking back. It's not surprising. They they were looking up as where he went. And then there's two men dressed in white that suddenly appear. I assume they're angels. And they say, why are you looking up? He's coming back. The same way you see him go, he is coming back. And if you want to think about it as a time of preparation, then look in First John. He says, Now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. This is a time of preparation. This is a second advent. It's a time of preparation for us as we wait for him to come. And in Revelation, we read this. Look. I am coming soon. I think um, 
is it, for, for us, it's a, it's a loose definition of soon, isn't it? Soon's a long time coming. But I like to think about it that every day, every moment is a day, a moment sooner. Um, you know, and we, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And if, when Jesus came the first time, if there was, if he came as an expected king and he came in a way that people didn't expect, then when he comes the next time, we do know something of what to expect. You know, he's not going to be a child coming in a manger uh, and, and the news kind of filtering through. We will see him as he comes. And we expect that. We know what to expect. What we don't know is when. The time is unexpected. So here we have a king expected uh, and now expected again. We have a king who is born in the most humble of circumstances. He's a king who died. And, uh, you know, died in the most horrific way and chose to do that because he'd come into this world with a purpose. This was God coming into the world in flesh. And we'll talk about the incarnation next week. But this is God. This is God working. And he, Jesus died on the cross. But he rose again. And we can read that he intercedes for us. There's an ongoing relationship with God through Jesus when we come and accept him as our saviour. So I don't know what your focus is going to be on this Christmas period. You know, perhaps you're here. I don't think you're here. But perhaps you're somebody online who doesn't buy into this. And to use, a, you know, who might use, and I, I don't like to use the word religious, but look at it as just religious rubbish. Um, and if you are somebody who's watching uh, with that mindset. Why are you watching? It's maybe because you're watching with somebody else or anyone else. But I believe you're watching because God wants to speak to you. And he wants to tell you about who Jesus is. And you need, you need to look into that. Perhaps though you're a, a Christmassy person. We, are, we all to some extent are Christmassy person. People, we, we, we do buy into a lot of the commercial stuff that's around. And it's, it's fun and it's nice and there's a coziness about it. But if you're focused, you may be, you know, some people that only come to church at Christmas because they like that. It's a good story, isn't it? And it's a, it warms your heart. Um, but that's all they're interested in. This King Jesus is not a ba- just a baby born in a manger. He's the king who died and rose again for us. And you need to look beyond the manger. You need to grow with this child and learn who Jesus truly is. But perhaps your focus is on the king. Um, And it's great if it is. Perhaps you not only enjoy the story of Christmas because you recognize that God has worked in in this way. He was bringing about his plan of salvation you know, we think of it as his plan of salvation for the world. It's his plan of salvation for you and for me. 
And we look at that and we appreciate that and we rejoice in that and we recognize that this baby is king. And we look to his death. We look to his teaching. We look to his resurrection. And we look with expectation and excitement about his return. Are we excited about his return? doesn't look like it. But we are excited that he will be coming back. And we don't know when. So, it could be soon and very soon. So we have a king expected. And now we expect him to come back. We have a king born. And that's what we do particularly think about at this time. It's a king who was born but who died for us and rose again. And he's a king who returns. When? It's an estimated time of arrival, and we don't have that. In Revelation, we, we read this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and was and who is to come. This Lord God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are saying, He is saying, I am the Alpha, the beginning and the Omega, the end He's the one who is expected in Jesus' case, in the manifestation of God in flesh, Jesus was the one who would come. He's the one who is, and is the one to come again. What a great blessing we have. If Advent is simply the story of a child in a manger, nice it may be, but Advent is about the story of God's plan of salvation for men, women, and children. And we can be part of it. We can be part of that kingdom when we come to Christ, when we come to him, admit that we've sinned, recognize that we've sinned, and place our faith and our trust wholly in him. And we are being prepared for the place that he has prepared for us. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for the, the time that we can gather around and think about how you came into the world in the, in, 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 in the form of this little baby. We thank you, Father, for, for Jesus, for his birth and for his, all his teaching, for the way that he speaks to us for the way that he tells us who he is. And we thank you for his death, harsh, difficult, challenging, horrific. But he chose that for us. And in him, we have a membership to you and your family. In him, we are your children. And in him... We are part of your kingdom. And Father, we only have a sense of that here as we spend our time in this world, um, this world that is not our home anymore. And Father, we look forward with great anticipation and excitement the return of the King. And Father, we just uh, pray that you will continue to prepare us for that day, that you'll continue to work in us 
until then, that you'll continue to lead us to live the lives that you would call us to, that we would become more and more like this wonderful King that we worship. And Father, we pray that at the very heart of our lives and our souls will be a sense of worship for you and worship for the King. Father, we thank you for your many blessings that we've thought about today and the very many blessings that you give us in our lives, countless blessings. But we thank you for the greatest blessing of all that you gave to us. And that was Jesus. And so, Father, as we get ready to go out into the rest of the day and the rest of the week, we pray that you'll just plant in our hearts that sense that Jesus is King. Whatever we're doing, wherever we are, whatever we face, that Jesus is King. And we pray these things in his own precious name. Amen.